Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasts most days from Southern California. Today we're in Lubbock, Texas. Site of... Man... It's not the biggest college basketball game of the year in terms of meaning for standings, meaning for a league championship, meaning for uh, a number one seed. It's not the NCAA tournament, but I would say it will be the most, uh, the best atmosphere all year. This and, of course, Duke's last game of the year when they take on North Carolina. That's the last game for Coach K. The difference is there's an insane amount of hatred towards Chris Beard, who's now the Texas coach. He used to be the Texas Tech head coach. And this, well, this is his first trip back to Lubbock. So um, a, a bunch of stuff is going on in the world of sports, but I'm not sure if you guys are aware. Tom Brady apparently retired again. Is that what I'm, I'm looking at, Jason Stewart? He retired a second time in the matter of, I'm kidding, of course, in terms of retiring a second time. But this time it is official, officially official, Tom Brady retires. So that's where we have to kind of start, right? Start and end every show with Tom Brady retires and everything that kind of goes along with that. And what's fascinating about the Tom Brady retirement is, I guess, you know, he did not put anything about the Patriots, about Mr. Kraft or about uh, Bill Belichick in in the release. Uh, What I've been told was this is something he was working on and... um, Jeff Darlington from ESPN, he was the one who uh, he was the one who got um, got the scoop while Tom Brady was in Europe, and Brady, of course, had to come back. Was is upset that somebody scooped him? He won, announce his own retirement. This is the final call of the Bucks win over the Chiefs in last year's Super Bowl. In a world turned upside down by pandemic, in a year where everything has been different. One thing remains the same. Tom Brady is a Super Bowl champion again for the record-setting seventh time. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. Absolutely a player for the ages. We've just hit zeros and it's over. The Buccaneers have beaten the defending champion Chiefs 31-9. to uh, that was a call on Westwood One. Of course, the incomparable Kevin Harlan with the call. It's Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio. So here's the, you know, I think what you're going to get from people is greatest of all time, right? So the greatest of all time is how everybody writes it, how everybody thinks it. It's what he's known as. What's the next sentence? Or what is, who is Tom Brady to you? That's my question to you. Who is Tom Brady to you? Dan Byer, who is Tom Brady, if, if for, for a guy who's covered sports for his entire professional life, who is Tom Brady to you? Who is Tom Brady to you? 
John Ramos, for a guy who's been around sports, covered sports for the entirety of your professional career, who's Tom Brady to you? Uh, he is a winner. Hmm. Okay. Jason yep. Stewart? Wow. I, I like that one, John. Succinct. Um, I mean, it's really tough to kind of narrow it down, right? But it's like the toughest position, uh, at in the hardest position in the most popular sport in the world, he was the best at. I think that's the only way that I could put it from just kind of a fundamental standpoint and just kind of a, you know, where he stands in sports history. Okay. Okay. Uh, Dan Byer, Tom Brady to you. Okay, we said greatest of all time is everybody's lead sentence. What's the second sentence to you? If, you, if I say Tom Brady, who is he to you? Uh, personally, he was a thorn in my side when he was at Michigan for, for a little while there. Um, and then not necessarily a guy that I that I cheered uh, for. So that's all from a personal personal um, way. But I, I think um, from a professional or from a just a look at it as a broadcaster, uh, the greatest quarterback that we've seen in the NFL. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think I've said this before, but I, I, among the – Look, he's a winner, and we can – is he the greatest to ever throw a football as a thrower of the football? No. He obviously didn't move terribly well. He wasn't perfect. He didn't win every game. He threw a great deep ball during his peak. You know, he was he was a 50-touchdown guy. You know, early on, and early on, it was a lot of running the football, a lot of screen passes. Late, it was a lot of underneath stuff as well. But Tom Brady, of course, is synonymous with winning. Winning is not an accident. People don't win that much, and it's not some sort of fluke, right? You don't take a below-average franchise like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and immediately win them a Super Bowl and even make the playoffs this year. There's something more than just talent that it takes. There's an ability to lead people to win and, and lead them not just by example in terms of how you play, but other things and how you compete and how you work. But Tom Brady is, if it's funny, because he retires now, the reverence that people have for him is far greater than it would have been had he retired after they won their last Super Bowl with the Patriots. And, and what's different? That he won one more Super Bowl? You know, he lost in the first round of the playoffs, the two kind of bookend years around that Super Bowl win in Tampa. Is that what did it? I believe that Tom Brady, what he has gone through is really a, a lot like Brussels sprouts. I, I love to use the Brussels sprouts reference, and he's the perfect example. After Deflategate, if, and if, if you have to remember how Deflategate happened. Hey, Deflategate happened because the Patriots were in the playoffs. Okay, and they were taking on the Baltimore Ravens. And they used a couple of, I guess you would call them trick formations, different guys eligible. And after the game, the Ravens were extremely upset, extremely upset. And what happened? Tom Brady, after the Patriots, after they was extremely upset, they, they went to Tom Brady in the locker room, and Tom Brady's like, mm, they should read the rule book. That's what he actually said. They should read the rule book. I mean, it was as arrogant a thing as you're ever going to say. 
They beat the Baltimore Ravens 35-31. The next week, they played the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC Championship game. And in the AFC Championship game, that's when, and the Ravens, of course, were coached at the time by a former Baltimore Raven assistant. I'm sure he gave him the head. I'm sure the Ravens gave the Colts the heads up. Hey, check out those footballs. They're not inflated like they should be. They checked him before the game. They checked him at halftime. Then they reload. Then they got new footballs that were loaded up with air. And Tom Brady blew out the Colts in the second half. He had to answer questions all up until that Seattle Super Bowl, which they won on the interception by Russell Wilson. He had to answer, remember on a Monday morning, so what would have been yesterday morning, instead of talking about the Super Bowl, it was all about ball inflation. So you go from that point and that story to his entire tenure with the Patriots, even the comeback against the Falcons after serving the four-game suspension to start the year, what is the greatest comeback in the history of the Super Bowl? Tom Brady was still seen as part of Spygate, part of Deflategate. Okay, there's no real deflator. There's the, why did he destroy his phone? Tom Brady was despised. He wasn't revered because of his winning. He was despised. Then fast forward to now. Think of all the reverence that players around the league, fans around the league. He still has one of the most popular jerseys in the NFL. People brought Tom Brady Tampa Bay jerseys. They called it Tampa Bay. When we were kids, Brussels sprouts smelled like farts. Your mom would steam them. And if she did, you're like, oh God, I hope the dog likes them. Right? If you had to eat them, you just literally hold your nose and eat them. Somewhere, somebody along the way is like, hey, you know, you could either cut them up and put olive oil on them and bake them. That's what we do. Some salt if you want some balsamic glaze. Or you can flash fry them and they're delicious. Brussels sprouts went from the most grotesque thing outside of beef tongue your mom could ever make that made the whole house smell like flatulence to it's now a widely respected and even beloved aperitif, that's appetizer, appetizer on menus that like chilies and spoons and Denny's. that, That is a 180. Tom Brady is just like Brussels sprouts. You used to not like him. You know, he was cheesy. He was corny. He couldn't dance. He was all into this, you know, TB12 method. Kind of felt like snake oil sales they were trying to sell to people. He leaves New England. He wins the Super Bowl. He releases a Facebook show, does the man in the arena, does the Manning cast. You know, just looks, gets white boy wasted at the victory parade with a knee sleeve on. And suddenly he goes from a despised leader of the henchmen known as the New England Patriots to the most beloved, greatest quarterback of all time. That's Brussels sprouts. He had longevity. He had one of the greatest seasons in the history of sport. He had an undefeated regular season. He had seven Super Bowls that he won. He competed in 10 of them. That's who Tom Brady is to me. By the way, this is still the most incredible comeback I've ever seen when the Patriots beat the Falcons. Here's on the Patriots Radio Network. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it up with the right arm. Cuts it up field. Driving forward. Diving to the
Uh, give me your thoughts at Gottlieb Show is the Twitter handle. It's also the Instagram handle. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a good day. Where's the ah? There it is. Ah. Okay, so now we've had a chance to kind of dive into this uh, Brian Flores lawsuit. I've been able to read some of the stuff. And th- there's, there's a bunch of things, okay? So first there's the Rooney Rule, which I am a proponent of, okay? I'm a proponent of. And what's interesting is it's like um, I'm, I'm not really sure – how the Rooney rule became a bad thing, right? Became a bad thing. And there were some proposals last year. It was last year, right? Where there were proposals of even further punishments or uh, bonuses really for teams that chose to hire not just black coaches, but black front office executives, some of which have changed in the rules. So Brian Flores was fired by the Miami Dolphins and If you want to know how he took it, the answer is not well. (laughs) He's suing the league with a class action lawsuit uh, claiming he wants to eliminate the NFL's racist hiring practices. Okay. Okay. Um, So he, he also goes into detail talking about Stephen Ross, his former boss and owner of the Miami Dolphins, and how Stephen Ross he alleges, offered him $100,000 to lose games, to lose a game. Uh, That's a damning allegation. By the way, it is not in any way racially discriminatory. He also alleges that Stephen Ross wanted him to make a bump, like just happen to show up and meet with Tom Brady, whom we all know Tom Brady, one of the teams he considered when he left Tampa a year later was the Miami Dolphins. Damning allegation in terms of Uh, trying to poach somebody's player and tampering. But you know what's not? Not racial discrimination. And he feels like Vic Fangio was already the guy in Denver. That's why when John Elway and his GM showed up to interview him, they looked disheveled and like they'd been out uh, late drinking. Now, the first thing is, regardless of if the candidates were chosen previously, that they, um, if the candidates were chosen previously, previous to his interview, that, that does not make it racially discriminatory. You have to, it's, it's not, th- this is a lawsuit designed to get your attention, but dig a little bit. And those allegations, though they're damning against Stephen Ross and the Dolphins who fired him, they don't have anything to do with the color of his skin. Zero. Am I wrong, buyer? Is there anything that can be taken as racially discriminatory from those particular well uh, arguments? I I I think that the the Rooney Rule, uh, the original intent was um, was a a just rule, but I think that teams now um, don't use it in what the the heart of the the reason that it was designed for, and I think that's what Brian Flores is trying to point out. He got the job. Listen, this is a real story. Okay. 
I have a couple of friends that are GMs in the league. In 18, he was, and he wasn't, it wasn't just because of the Rooney Rule, because I know a couple other uh, black coaches who were hired in that cycle. And, but, but the, what, the, what the Rooney Rule does, the design of it is challenges you to find a young uh, or a different, a different candidate than your normal traditional pool, and, if it's, and hopefully a black candidate. Okay? And that's what, that's what he was. He got an interview for a couple of jobs. He was a linebacker's coach. He'd been in the league nine years at the time. Like, that's relatively quickly. Okay? The next year, he's a defense coordinator. One year, he got the job. If I were him, I would say, like, hey, you know, the re-roll is actually pretty good. Got me in this cycle. Got me some interviews the year before I got my job. I, I just don't like the application of the Rooney Rule and how I feel like I was being used when I was in New York. Now, the Giants could easily sit there and go like, look, that's not really the case of what happened. You know, we searched for a general manager. The general manager came in. He had his favorite, but we wanted to listen to other people. And then we decided on our coach. None of that has anything to do with the fact that he's black. And I'm not disputing that there are instances where... Hey, we got interview. We got interview a minority candidate, even though we already found our our coach. But there are coaches that are hired that, you know, it's 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 like uh, Byron Leftwich. You know, Byron Leftwich wants the GM out, Trent Baalke out in Jacksonville. If he if a change is made, and there's a new general manager in Jacksonville. They're not going to interview any other candidates. Why? Because Byron Leftwich gets his guy. That's how business works. Jay Stu, what do you think? First of all, I think it's a great uh, talk show story. Great in this. that There's so much meat here. That Bill Belichick misfired text, all of us could relate to that. That nine feeling in your stomach when you send it to the wrong person. And then all of this. I mean, um, there, it's so serious. And I think a lot of people are going to pay for this. And it's it's kind of sad to be honest. I'm I'm shocked that he's doing this. This young in his career with so much in front of him, and it it, it shows you uh, how much integrity he has. I mean, yeah. you, you're kind of reminded of Kurt Flood. You're sacrificing your career basically to take a stand. Um, so from that respect, it's kind of admirable. Um, but yeah, I mean, lots of thoughts. The story's immense. Yeah, it's it's big. Rich Hornberger joins us in the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Former NFL lineman and teammate of Tom Brady who tweeted out that, of course, Tom did not thank you during his retirement uh, series of Instagram posts. But in all seriousness, why not a paragraph about the Patriots? Yeah, I found it interesting also because we were reacting to that live on air during my radio show in San Diego on Extra 1360. It was it was kind of bizarre, to be perfectly honest with you, because he spent two decades of his career with the New England Patriots and with the, that coaching staff and certainly with Robert Kraft, <clears throat> the owner, and Bill Belichick taking a chance and drafting him in the sixth round. Um, you know, and I'll return to the reasons why I think that's so strange, but I'll kind of verge off that path for a second and just explain, like, for anybody who is, not new to this, but is only catching up with the Tom Brady story over the past, say, 10 years or so, forgets that Tom Brady, there were some rough spots early in his career. I mean, he was not a finished product coming into this league. 
he was talented. There's no question about it. But he was never, you know, this hyperbolic athlete that people lauded the way they did Josh Allen and they saw limitless potential. This was a guy who got passed over six times in terms of quarterbacks all the way up to almost the uh, 200th pick in the draft before he was selected by the New England Patriots in the sixth round. And he was behind, oh, who was it? Bishop? He was the fourth-string quarterback behind Bishop when he first signed in New England, and he had to earn his way onto the roster. I mean, it wasn't even a guarantee that he was going to make the roster as a six-round draft pick. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, from year two on, he made the league pay uh, for overlooking his talent in the first place, and, and he completely uh, he, he completely changed sport in the meantime. But, you know, this, this, was, this team was one of the few that actually stuck their na- neck out for him. So I do think it was a little strange that it didn't include any, you know, tip of the cap to the New England Patriots, to Robert Kraft, to Bill Belichick, or the New England fans. But then again, I guess, you know, you look at it on the other side of it. Um, he was retiring a Buccaneer. And then, uh, again, you look at the fact that he eventually uh, retweeted the statements provided by Robert Kraft about getting to see uh, his career unfold and, and his adoration for Tom Brady. And he gave his love to Patriot Nation that way. So it was hours later, but it was a little, at first, reacting to the news as it hit the West Coast at 6.45 in the morning without there being a single reference toward New England. It, it was a little strange at first. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, let's get to the Brian Flores thing. Um, what do you, have you, have you, do you know the, do you know the list of the things that have been alleged in this lawsuit? Yeah, you may have to fill me in on some, but as far as I know, uh, he's alleging that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, uh, was willing to offer him as much as $100,000 per loss in bonuses because uh, he's alleging that the Miami Dolphins wanted to tank this season to have a higher draft pick in this year's upcoming draft. Uh, He's uh, also alleging that Stephen Ross encouraged him to go after a quarterback who is currently under contract with another team, which is strictly forbidden. And then also alleging that the Broncos, the Giants, and the Bills, and then, you know, team, you know, whatever it is, John Doe team one through 29, essentially the rest of the leagues are, are, uh, they are basically together, uh, providing no path for black head coaches um, to be hired in fair practice. They're just basically checking boxes to appease the Rooney rule. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot. There's a lot there. And if any of that is proven true in a court of law, and the fact that it was filed as a, a uh, class action means that he thinks others are going to jump in with him. You know, otherwise he would be an an independent plaintiff on this lawsuit. Uh, So, uh, you know, look, there's there's a lot riding on this. Uh, You know, potentially a coaching career. Um, You know, there's a lot riding on this in in terms of major changes that could occur uh, in in the NFL. Um, This is this is this is gigantic. We've never seen anything like this 
in the history of this sport to have a coach. I, I, not I, only, I think it's amazing yeah. though. Like he was fired by a black general manager who he couldn't get along with, right? Like it's there's a, there's a bunch to it. You know, he's like, well, they so only much. brought me in. They brought in Leslie Frazier too. You know, they brought in all defensive coordinators. And the Giants end up circling back and taking the GM takes a guy who he worked with before. That's that's business. By the way, while he's and it, it, look, it, it if proven true, it's bad look for Stephen Ross, right? Terrible look for Stephen Ross, oh, and yeah. and very damaging. But in no part of those allegations is there has anything to do with racism. That, that makes no sense. You, you you have a class action lawsuit, which is a look. It's a legitimate discussion whether or not the Rooney Rule, the hiring practices are right, why there's a disparity in the percentages, the numbers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So a very valid discussion. But lumping in Stephen Ross allegedly offering money to tank games has nothing to do with racism. Zero. That's a non sequitur. They're not connected in any way, are they? Can you see a connection? I mean, uh, no, no, not in terms of the being paid to tank or or being asked to go and break league rules by tampering, by trying to lure uh, a quarterback under contract with a different club to come to your club. No, like there's, I don't, I don't see any connection there. I th- I think obviously the whole lawsuit has been launched, um, you know, and it's multifaceted, obviously, and there's just. There's the one edge to it that is looking to address hiring practice in the league, and then there's the other edge to it where if Brian Flores has text messages, if he has email proof that Stephen Ross was willing to pay him bonuses uh, to lose games, I mean, that's damning evidence that could really – I mean, that could that could harm the reputation of the league – from so many different standpoints. I mean, think about betters and gambling. I mean, sports betting is being legalized state to state to state. It's becoming a tax buoy in certain states that that we're getting close to bankrupt. Imagine if the integrity of the NFL is, is going to be questioned because there are owners who are willing to allegedly owners who are willing to pay coaches to tank football games. I mean, that's, that is monumental in terms of allegations. And then tampering, obviously, any coach or general manager or owner who is involved in tampering, again, if, if Brian Flores is able to provide proof, you know, whether it be text message or email or otherwise, that, that you know, an owner or anybody else affiliated with the owner was encouraging him to go after another quarterback, I mean, that, that would be so damning for the Miami Dolphins, you know, because Stephen Ross, and the NFL, they're going to have to face off against each other and get in the room and figure out how to move forward from here. You know, there could be potential a monumental shift in ownership in the league over these allegations. I mean, this is this is dramatic. It it, it is dramatic. I, the whole thing is 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 fascinating. Uh, let's get to the football games. Um, what happened to Pat Mahomes in the second half? That is such a good question. Um, I think old demons that we discussed all throughout the season, Doug, came back to revisit Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offensively. You know, I remember when the season started, you and I were talking about some of the issues that Patrick was having uh, going against defenses who were trying to make him play patient. And I told you 
I think it was week six you had me on your show, and I said he's one of the least blitzed quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's working. Because when you get a lead, any kind of lead, whether it's three points, seven points, ten points, if you can widen the gap where you have the Chiefs chasing points and you're dropping uh, eight players into coverage or, or you're consistently dropping seven players in coverage and you're only rushing three or four up front, and, and occasionally getting home with those three rushers or those four rushers, he's going to make a mistake because he doesn't want to check it down. He gets bored of throwing it to his tight end over the middle for a five-yard game. He gets bored of swinging it out to Jarek McKinnon. And so he's looking for the home run ball downfield. And when you're only rushing three, two things happen. One, eventually the rush is going to uncover and you're going to get sacked. And we saw that multiple times in the fourth quarter and overtime. And two, if you just heave it downfield, almost always you're, th- you're testing coverage. You're testing double coverage, sometimes triple coverage, depending on where you go with the football. And that can lead to interceptions, which we saw in that AFC championship game as well. I credit the Bengals for playing really patient defense, sticking with the game plan, and just changing the aggressiveness that they were defending the receivers downfield with because those referees, those officials, were keeping the flags in their pocket on defensive holding and pass interference calls. It's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, what can be said about the Bengals' defense? I know Mahomes was off. I know he tried to, you know, the last pass was indicative of trying to force the ball to Tyreek Hill. But this is, this is a group that two years ago was the worst maybe in the history of football statistically. And yet they held the Chiefs to three points in the second half and none in overtime. This is the second, second half they've held them to three points. I know that, I look, Burrow's confidence, Burrow's game, Burrow's swag all works, but I do feel like we're missing a little bit on the Bengals' defense, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we certainly are. You know, that's a defense that got better as the season went along, and it goes a long way to provide confidence for a defense when your offense is playing the way the Cincinnati Bengals' offense was late in the season. There's so much faith in Joe Burrow. So the motto starts becoming this 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 banging drum in the background like just get joe the football back he's going to make something special happen for us all so i think they started playing better defense as a team because we're not talking about a defense that's that's surrounded by stars you know this isn't the los angeles rams but the bengals they play aggressive hard-nosed scrappy high effort defense i mean they chased mahomes all around the football field in the first half And then they did it in the second half. They never relented. You know what happened, though? I think, look, Patrick Mahomes, there there are plays. I mean, that that first-half touchdown to Kelsey where they connected. I mean, he must have ran 50 yards before he finally got that ball out to Kelsey. He tried to do that in the second half. You lose your legs. You lose your wind after a while. And this Cincinnati Bengals defense, they never relented. They came after him. They chased him all over that football field. And I think it showed up in the – in the box score. All right, let's get to the Rams and the Niners. Um, How are the Rams able to stop the Niners running the football? Aaron Donald in the middle of that defensive line, just playing (laughs) just a freakish level of physicality on the defensive front this, this, uh, this postseason. I mean, the best players on your team, you know, the franchise guys, 
this is the time of year where they need to, to really turn it on, and Aaron Donald's doing that because everybody concentrates on how much pressure he gets on the passer in the passing game, and that's great. But he occupies sometimes two blockers. There are occasions where he's occupying three blockers in the run game, which means those linebackers can run free. You know, when you have an opportunity to play downfield or, excuse me, downhill defense from a linebacking standpoint and you have clear lanes to the running back or the cutback lanes because you got your big hoss number 99 up front just keeping you clean the entire game, I mean, that makes it a whole lot easier to make those tackles closer to the line of scrimmage. So that was a big help. And, uh, and then it just came down to the Niners making too many mistakes and the Rams hanging on. Yeah, the okay, so is Matt Stafford totally off the hook? I mean, he did throw an arm punt that was dropped, but are, is he totally off the hook now? No, 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 no. Matthew Stafford in no way, shape, or form is, uh, is, is off the hook. I think over two postseason games now, he's played one full game, you know, where, where he's playing at the level you'd expect a star quarterback who you traded two first-rounders to play. You know, but you, you can't play a, a single half in the Super Bowl. You need to play a complete game, especially against the Bengals, because that offense just doesn't look like there are really any answers. I mean, the Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans, they threw everything except the, the kitchen sink at him. And after getting sacked nine times, he still found a way to win that football game. So Burrow special, he's got stardust sprinkled on him. And so Matthew Stafford needs to be able to – throw the football effectively, not make a mistake that's going to cost his team the game. But I sort of feel like, boy, especially in that second half, it didn't it, – it, it sort of looked like both of these teams were trying to lose that football game. And at a certain point, you want your quarterback to hop out of the sidecar and, you know, rev the engine on the, on, you know, on the, the, the saddle seat and really kind of get the motorcycle going down the freeway. And we never really saw that from him. He's going to have to play the game of his life in the Super Bowl to really sort of make this, this, this whole story arc make sense for the Rams. It's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Okay, so which is it? Is it build organically from within and get the right quarterback the way the Bengals did? Or is it go after big-name guys – you know, no matter what, trade away all your draft picks the way the Rams have. You know, everybody wants to make it out like the Rams' way is the way, but the Bengals have done this a, a completely different way. What's the way to build a team to get to get here? Man, gosh, if if I had that answer, I'd be getting paid ten million dollars in the front office of one of these teams, right? You know, the 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 way I'll answer it, and it may sound too diplomatic because, um, but it's just the way I feel is. Both of those, both of those tactics can be successful. You're, like you mentioned, you're seeing it with the Rams. You're seeing it completely differently, but just as effective with the Bengals. I lean toward the way the Bengals are doing it, though, and here's why: because Joe Burrow is so much cheaper than Matthew Stafford. I mean, if you can, if you can hit the lottery, and you can guess right on a Joey Burrow, on a Justin Herbert. On a Trevor Lawrence, we'll see, right? You know, they're hoping down in Jacksonville that they found it. If you can get it right, and then you build around that rookie quarterback contract, I mean, that is the ideal. And you have this short window, but you can get a lot done in three years on that rookie contract before you even need to have the conversation about restructuring and paying long-term money to your star player. 
at the most important position on the football field. As soon as they went away from, you know, the Sam Bradford $50 million before you touch the field signing bonuses, and they went to this new slotted draft where you, you kind of have to earn it on your first contract before you get really broke off. Once they did that, it changed the whole paradigm of the way teams are built. A lot of these teams want to get younger. Of course, you're always going to have your, your Aaron Rodgers and your Tom Brady's and your, your Russell Wilson's who people will bend over backwards for even as they enter their 30s and, frankly, now their 40s. The young guy in hitting the lottery in the draft. Rich Hornberger, former NFL offensive lineman, of course, co-host of Fox Football Sunday with Steve Hartman each Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 1 to 5 Eastern Time. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Okay, uh, this is a weird story, and apparently Brian Flores is trying to file a class action lawsuit against the NFL because of their hiring practices. Um, his new lawyers tweeted out, on the first day of Black History Month, it's our great privilege to represent Brian Flores in his class action complaint against the NFL. This case seeks to level the playing field in the hope that future owners and coaches will be representative of the athletes who are playing the great game. We fully expect coaches and players of all races to support Brian as he embarks on his journey to create positive change. Brian Flores is never going to be a head coach ever again. The, the, the slash and burn is unbelievable now look I I, I I all I can tell you is what I've seen is I thought he was a pretty good coach clearly he didn't get along with Chris Greer now just so we're aware Chris Greer is black okay he worked for it now his owner was not but the owner chose his the general manager who he had worked with longer than the head coach and by all accounts by all accounts uh, there were enough people in that organization that had a similar feeling in terms of their dealing with Brian Flores. But the burn it down is, that is not, the, that is, at first, it makes no sense. Makes no sense. And he's using a, 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 a text where Bill Belichick mistakenly texted him instead of texting Brian Dayball as like, look, I was only being brought in for the Rooney rule. Let's keep in mind, Brian Flores already interviewed for the Jacksonville Jaguars job as well as the Houston Texans job. So I, I, I it's amazing. So here's the text exchange. Uh, Byer, you want to be Bill Belichick or do you want to be um, uh, Brian Flores? I, I, can be, uh, I can be Bill Belichick. Okay, just... I'll, be, I'll be Brian Flores. Go. Oh, oh, okay. Hold on. I kind of get the text messages up because there's a lot of details in this in this uh, in this whole thing. So I uh, I didn't realize that we were role playing uh, here. So all right, here we go. Uh, sounds like you have landed. Congrats. Did you hear something I didn't hear? Giants. I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. 
Got it. I hear from Buffalo and the Giants that you are their guy. Hope it works out if you want it to. That's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, Coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dayball? Just making sure. Sorry. I bleeped this up. I double-checked and I misread the text. I think they're naming Dable. Sorry about that, BB. Thanks, Bill. But if you notice, uh, yeah, I mean, he— Thank you very much. It was a couple hours later, by the way. Like, he, he left him on red and then got back to him. So, so Flores's, Flores's take is going to be, well, they already knew it was going to be Brian Dable. They just brought me in, you know, so they fit the Rooney rule. Uh, by the way, I, I actually believe that. Uh-huh, go ahead. I was going to say there, there's other stuff in addition to this that is damning to one organization as well. Well, he so. he said that he said that uh, um, uh, Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, offered to pay him a hundred thousand dollars a loss in order to tank. Now w- that was this first year, correct? That was before yeah, they drafted 2019 season. Yep, right. That's what they're. Which we all thought they were tanking, and they were tanking for Tua. Correct. That is damning. That is damning. Now, he does not have any proof of that, right? Unless he has proof of that, it is hearsay. And, but the idea of losing in, with the intention of, you know, losing with the intention of losing is not a, a, we talked about, everybody talked about, everybody knew they were tanking. Knew they were tanking. But again, does any of this prove uh, racism is a part of hiring practice. What, what it will do is it will probably make sure that Jacksonville and that Houston, okay, they hire black coaches. But I would guess for Brian Flores, this is, at least in the short term, nobody's hiring you. Sue the NFL. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. Had a job for three years. Interviewed. Um, interviewed for several jobs, finalist for a couple jobs, and this is what you do as a knee-jerk reaction because you're mad? And, and of course, Brian Dable's the guy. They hired the assistant GM. Guys bring with them people they've worked with previously. And it, it all makes sense. Flores, I believe, was somebody the owner, John Merrill, wanted to take a look at. And just because you have somebody you want to hire doesn't mean that you don't want to at least talk to Brian Flores and get his perspective on things. So I, my, my take is, and look, I, I understand that when you looked at the numbers of who is getting jobs, like in this most recent cycle, it hasn't been nearly as good as it should be. It hasn't been nearly as good as it should be. But we should also point out that Two black GMs have just been hired. Thus, those numbers continue to grow. And by the way, they're two guys from very different background. Ryan Poles is a former player who, after he got out of playing, got right into the front office and had a minimal paying job and worked his way up. The other one, uh, Byer, help me out. How do I pronounce his name from Minnesota? Uh, the, the new GM? Yep. Uh, I, I don't. I, I don't have it in front of me. Sorry, I'm trying to go through oh, this I'm whole. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's uh, all right. Qu- I'm just the Qu- whole lawsuit. Quezzi Adolfo Mensa, who is 
by all accounts, an absolutely brilliant dude, right? He was doing derivatives, and then he started working in uh, the Niner, uh, in with the Niners front office, did some cap stuff, did some analytics work, and whatever. Um, quasi, quasi, excuse me, Adolfo Mensa. And who does he hire? Like right now, is he going to hire uh, D'Amico Ryans from San Francisco? Or is he going to hire Jim Harbaugh, who he worked with when he was in San Francisco? That's what the, the two finalists are for. But just saying it's racist when there's no, what is he talking about? The, the tanking one is probably the most damning thing. The text from Bill Belichick, like, well, what did you expect to have happen when they hire the GM from Buffalo and Brian Dable is the quarterback whisperer and Josh Allen looks completely different the last two years than he looked previously? Of course he's going to get a job. Why shouldn't he get a job? All right, I, I, I want to get to this. Josh McDaniels basically echoed what I've been talking about for weeks in that when you're coaching, and this is no different when you're leading your business, no matter what business you think you're in, we're all in the people business. And Josh McDaniels was asked, what's the difference between how he is as a coach now and how he was back when he coached with the Broncos? When I went to Denver, I knew a little bit of football. I didn't really know people uh, and how important that aspect of this process and maintaining the culture and building the team uh, was. And um, and I and I failed and I didn't you know, I didn't succeed at it. And so looking at that experience has been one of the best uh, things uh, in my life in terms of my overall growth as a as a person, as a coach. What do I need to do different? How do I need to handle my role if I have another opportunity uh, and do better at it? I love it. We're all in the same business. We're all in the people business. And, and I, I like this. I like that he said he failed at Denver. You know, so many coaches, and, and we do this, I'm sure you've done this in your own business, your own life, if you've been fired before, is you start making excuses about, well, this, what, this would have happened, and that would have happened, then this, then I never would have been fired. But it didn't, and you get fired, and you failed. It's okay. You know, we, we all have to deal with failure. Tell me the guy who didn't have to deal with failure. So, I... It doesn't mean that Josh McDaniels is going to be a great head coach. It doesn't mean that Josh McDaniels is going to, you know, run the NFC West and AFC West and change how we look at Kansas City and L.A. and uh, uh, Denver against him. But it does mean that at least he's open to the idea that he's got to get better. He wasn't great. He didn't know everything. He doesn't know everything now. But what he does know is we're all in the same business, the people business. Yes, John Ramos. So why did he turn down the Indianapolis Colts job? I, I wasn't at the press conference. I don't know. He he accepted the job and then changed his mind. That's right? correct. Yeah. So I'm figuring. I'm figuring he didn't. He didn't get it then either. Then. No, I think supposedly. You know, we don't know what he was promised in New England. We don't know. Remember that was also the year that Andrew Luck retired after the last preseason game. So we don't know what he knew about Andrew Luck. We don't know. I, I mean, I've been told that it was kind of a freak out over Jim Ursay and Jim Ursay's constant desire to be involved. They have that problem now. They had it then. And that's why he walked from it. Don't know otherwise. <laughs> 